Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Here at Mercy Commons with Nick Gaughan, we don't look to just fill the pulpit. Um, uh, this is actually an incredible uh, opportunity to have Ryan, who is a gift to us. This is Ryan McDonald, if you don't know him. He is um, a good friend. He's actually my brother-in-law as well. Um, but he is a pastor at Southlands Brea, and he is the Southern California director at Foster the City. And if you don't know what that is, you're going to learn a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it's just a gift to have Ryan. He is a friend to, to Mercy Commons. Um, he's a friend to all of us. So I'm going to pray for him and let him loose. Thanks. God, I thank you that your word is alive, it is active, it shapes hearts, God. Um, this morning, I pray that you would um, speak through Ryan, God. We thank you for the preparation uh, that he has, he has put in, God. We thank you that he is a faithful steward of, of your word. God, I pray that it would just, um, yeah, that it would pierce hearts this morning, Father, that you would empower him by your spirit to speak the truth. Would you silence the voice of the enemy? Uh, would, your, would your voice be loudest in this, God? Would we yeah. uh, trust you for who you say you are? And would you change and transform hearts this morning? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Patrick. Good morning. How you guys doing? All right. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to be continuing in our series. But first, there's this massive trend right now to watch restoration videos of like a 300-year-old knife that was buried underground or an indoor rug that's been outside for 80 years or this like car that was abandoned. You guys, you guys tracking with the restoration videos? They are surprisingly so therapeutic. Like if you're having a, an anxious day, the kids were just a little bit on edge, work was out of control, let me, let me do you a favor, a little bit of free therapy. Go ahead, go to youtube.com and type in restoration videos and you are gonna see just the most amazing process, step-by-step, 20-minute video of someone taking something that is completely broken and no longer functional, and turn it into something that is breathtakingly beautiful and back to its original condition. I was watching these videos, as I do when I'm stressed out, not on the clock at work, don't worry, it was on my own time, I know what you're thinking. (laughs) And uh, there was this 1871 candy roller. Now, first of all, I didn't know what a candy roller was. Anybody know what a candy roller is? They take this like sugar gel and then they roll it through and it presses it. And then you, so you've seen this one? My man. Are we at two people? That's legit. It does have 73 million views for good reason, folks. Okay. And one, two, three of them are right here. Okay. Okay. I watched it more than once. So four at least. And, and, and so they, they press this like gelatinous sugar through this thing and then they let it harden and then they drop it and like the thin parts just break off and then they like sift it and it just like this beautifully formed candy. But anyway, at the end of this 23 minute video, which is worth every second, <laughs> this is what you end up with. I mean, that, that's beautiful, isn't it? Maybe give me a few words to describe the first candy roller, if we can go back to that image. How would you describe this? Rusty. Tetanus. A little bit of a medical diagnosis over here. Junk. Okay, and then what about the second? 
Gorgeous. Gorgeous. You got to emphasize it. Shiny. Functional, right? We love watching restoration happen, don't we? Whether it's a dirty old rug or a 300-year-old knife or this 1871 candy roller. But how much more beautiful is it when God takes a broken life and restores someone back to health? Someone who couldn't function in community, somebody who had dysfunctional relationships, someone like me who used to be incredibly selfish in my early 20s. Legitimately, almost only concerned about where I was going in life and what I was getting. And then I met Jesus. And piece by piece, like this candy roller, he started taking me apart. And he started polishing parts of my character. He, he started fixing things that were broken. And then I started having these relationships with people and I could give and receive love. And then I stopped just thinking about myself. I started thinking about other people. And we could go with each and every one of you. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you have had a radical transformation from rusty junk to absolute beauty. And God does that work from the inside out, doesn't he? He first gets in there and he, he fixes things about us at the deepest parts of us. And then from the outside, we start acting different. We start treating people different. And today, as we arrive in Hebrews 13, we are at the final movement of this powerful sermon about the sufficiency of Christ to bring meaningful restoration to your life. The first 12 chapters of Hebrews, to catch us up real quick, have been about God's glory revealed in Christ's work on our behalf. It's the good news that Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, stands as a sympathetic high priest, ready to welcome anybody into his kingdom as beloved and honored sons and daughters. It is God's restoration process on full display. And as we transition to chapter 13, the last movement, the last kind of big idea of this beautiful sermon, the author of Hebrews wants you to see that when you encounter the restorative work of Christ, you are transformed into a person of love. That's what happens. You become love. You become someone who cares for the poor and serves those around you and makes the spaces that you're in that much more Beautiful. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Hebrews chapter 13. I'm actually, because it's such a small amount of text, I've included multiple translations of the same verses. And so as I read through this, the first pass, I'd encourage you maybe just to close your eyes and just to listen. And then as we go through each point, if you're interested, you can kind of see which version is which sentence. So let's read this together. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Stay on good terms with each other, held together by love. 
Do not neglect or forget to show hospitality to strangers. Be ready with a meal or a bed when it's needed. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your bodies. Look on victims of abuse as if what happened to them had happened to you. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are here because of you. That yes, we engage in our social relationships, but ultimately we are gathered as your people to meet with you. That the truest thing about our gathering is not that there's someone sitting to my right or to my left, but, but God's very spirit and presence fills this gym when we get together to bless us. And we come to here to know you, to hear the word of God, to hear a word from God about our life, to give us the perspective that we so desperately need to find abundant life. So Jesus, bless our time together as we dig into your words for us. Thank you that you didn't play the silent game. That you didn't have us philosophically mandering through this world, trying to hold on to some sort of meaning, but you gave us meaning and purpose in Christ. And we hold tight to that meaning. We love that rich meaning that you have given us. We love you, Lord. Truly. God, we love you. We want to know you more and more with each passing day. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. This last chapter of this sermon that we've arrived at tells us that we should be grateful for the work that Christ has done on our behalf, that we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that our hope and our redemption are secure in Christ, that the forgiveness and the transformation, the candy roller with the shiny red paint, that that was not some sort of facade or temporarily fixed, but that was a permanent fix down in the deepest parts of who you are. You are saved, and you are welcomed into God's family, and that can never be taken away from you. And therefore, we should offer God acceptable worship. That is, we live our lives with the same compassion and kindness that Jesus has showed us. Our God, the end of chapter 12, remind us, is a consuming fire. Therefore, we should be consumed with God's love. That from the top to the bottom of our life, it should fill us. Now, when we get to chapter 13, we're going to encounter a list of commands and it is important to understand that these are not moral obligations for the Christian to follow. These commands are not given as laws that you need to obey for fear of punishment. They are also not some sort of party platform that if you don't agree 
to this way of thinking that you're out of the community, that this is the platform we're about, and if you don't affirm this way of thinking, then you're out of the community. No, the list of commands are given to us as a compelling invitation to allow the gospel implanted by grace to make its way out in how you treat every person that you come in contact with. By grace, through faith, God has done something in you. It's true of you, period. You are in the community. You receive the favor of God. And this text is inviting you to make that evident, to show that off, to flex on the haters. That's not in my notes. I don't know why I said that. And so the question today is, how do we display the beauty of Hebrews chapters 1 through 12 in our life? How do we show, I mean, you guys have been tracking in this series, like, it is unbelievable what Christ has done for us. How do we show that off? How do we display that? How do we take that real, rich beauty and make it known And the preacher has three things for us today that, number one, we stay on good terms with each other. Number two, we show hospitality to strangers. And number three, we empathize with those who suffer as if, this is crucial, their suffering had happened to us. We can summarize even further as John Phillips does in his commentary by simply saying, Christian love is to be shown to brothers strangers, and sufferers. And that is how we show off the beauty of what Christ has done for us. So let's start by unpacking this first point. We display our transformed life by staying on good terms with each other. Let brotherly love continue. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Stay on good terms with each other held together by love. Notice that the ESV says, let brotherly love continue. Notice it does not say, love the brothers. That would be in the active voice. But this is actually in the middle voice, to let brotherly love continue. Which means that it's both a command we participate in and something that happens to us. The author is essentially saying, allow your love for others to remain strong. Or I like how my grandpa used to say it when I had a good thing going. Kid, don't screw this up. (laughs) See, when you are saved initially, you are baptized into one body. And you are given supernaturally a love for other people. Jesus says it, but over time, that love starts to grow cold. We can become weakened in our love for other people. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 24, because lawlessness will be increased, it's because people will offend you, the love of many will grow cold. So keeping your love from going cold is an essential part of life with God. Every one of us in this community are called to be fire lighters. Anyone grow up as a bit of a pyro? Yeah, yeah, I see you. Weston, that is no surprise to me, brother. I would like light stuff in my parents' garage. 
Thankfully, nothing traumatic ever happened, but literally on the floor of my parents' garage, found a lighter, and I just loved fire. (laughs) You are called to love fire, but not that kind of fire. Stoking the fire of love for one another, or as Hebrews, the author of Hebrews said at a different point, spur one another on to love and good deeds. We are to encourage and speak favorably about other people in our community. This is a bit of a test. Every time you're about to share something about somebody in this room with somebody else in this room, I want you to ask this question. Is what I'm about to say going to cause my listener to think more highly about the person I'm talking about? And if, if it is not, you are to remain silent. If what you are going to say to people in this room about people in this room is going to cause them to think less highly after you're done sharing, it has no place in the Christian community. We are to gossip about the goodness of what our brothers and sisters are doing. Hey, did you hear about what Joey and Brittany did? How they serve this family. I was just watching them. I'm just like, man, God's love is in them. Did you hear about what Chris and Lisa did the other day? We're, we're to be gossiping about the good things that we're doing. Not when we're like a little bit salty or it's just a little bit off. And there is a place to process pain with one safe person in the community in discretion, 100%. We have to do that. But we are talking about saying things that would cause others to think less likely. And this is the problem about living together in Christian community. We are prone at times to take offense instead of offering forgiveness. It's so much easier to take offense than it is to offer forgiveness. We are actually pulled into being firefighters instead of firelighters. And this is true of every relationship. Every relationship has this relational arc. When you first meet someone, it's it's easier to love them because they haven't offended you yet. (laughs) They haven't wronged you yet. And so you assume the best. But the longer you're in relationship with someone, the more you're going to be offended by them. The more their shortcomings are going to rise to the surface. They're going to say hurtful things. They're going to forget about you. They're going to not reach out when they know that you're not doing well. They're going to fail to keep their promises. Sometimes they'll accuse you of things that you didn't do. And this is where the great danger happens. The danger of allowing your love for one another to grow cold. The most important part in a conflict is not avoiding the conflict. You guys are going to sin against each other. That is just part of life together. The goal is not to never hurt one another. That is ridiculous. (laughs) The goal is once somebody hurts you, once the offense happens, that is the most important moment in the life of this community. When you are offended, what do you do? Are you a firefighter or are you a firelighter to reconcile those relationships The preacher in Hebrews is inviting us to remember afresh Jesus' own words in John 13 when he says this, A new commandment I give to you, 
that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus' love is to be the standard by which we love another in this community. Love for each other is the central picture of restored life with God. To let the gospel be made known. The beauty of what God has done for us. The central starting point is that we love one another. And I know this is a basic, basic teaching. I mean, the kids are probably learning the same thing right now in the form of sharing their toys and not poking each other in the eye or coughing in each other's faces or, well, that one's unavoidable. But, but the question is, how are you doing at living it out? Jesus didn't teach these things so that you knew that he taught these things. He taught these things so you would practice them. So that we would stay on good terms with one another. By this, Jesus says, all people will know that you are my disciples. And the text now is going to move on to caring for strangers and caring for sufferers and caring for people out there, which is crucial. It's part of your life together to reach the city of Fullerton. But in order to make a difference out there, you have to love one another in here. Because the moment you start engaging in justice and compassion, you're going to reach your limits, you're going to be stressed out, you're going to lose control. And guess what happens when you do those things? You get a little scratchy. Anyone get a little scratchy sometimes? I feel like I've been like permanently living in scratchiness the last month because we welcomed two children experiencing foster care in our home. So we jumped from two kids to four kids. And my life is insane right now. If you want a reference point, just ask Patrick and Alex because they watched all four of our kids with Coco so we could take a night away on Friday, which was amazing. Let's just give it up for them right now. <laughs> and without exaggeration, Patrick left my house like this. This is like looking back at me, like, what have you done to my soul? A life of mercy and justice cannot be sustained without a love for one another. So mercy commons, let your name be true. Let mercy be common among you. The second way we display the transformed life, all the goodness of what Christ has done in the deepest part of who we are, is we show hospitality to strangers. Verse 2. Do not neglect or forget, in the NLT, to show hospitality to strangers. Be ready with a meal or a bed when it's needed. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Here, the author of Hebrews, quite simply, is calling members of this church to open their homes to people in need of shelter and family. And this was a very common practice in the ancient world, particularly for vulnerable and at-risk populations. In the ancient world, inns were very unsafe places to stay. Most travelers, if they were socially connected and they weren't rejected, they would actually stay with a family member or a friend. 
But for those poor and outcast, inns were the only places they could go. Best-selling author and pastor Kent Hughes elaborates when he simply says, inns were miserable places. And he says this because they were infested with fleas, poor treatment of guests. They were dangerous for vulnerable travelers. And so the early church made a practice of regularly opening up their homes as shelters for people looking for family and looking for community. Now, the Greeks also saw hospitality to strangers as a virtue, but they did so out of fear and to get blessing from the gods. In fact, Zeus was known as the patron saint of strangers. He would bless those who received weary travelers, and he would punish those who refused to welcome people in. There's a Greek myth about Zeus and Hermes. They disguise themselves as weary travelers, and they go around this village seeking refuge. And they knock on all these doors, and in the Greek myth, there's only one family who opens up their doors to these travelers. And the gods, who then stay with them, bless the households, and then they curse the rest of the village. But Christian hospitality, on the other hand, is not motivated by fear. It is motivated by faith. Faith that God wants to do something meaningful with your life. Faith that God wants to bring you joy and abundance as you serve other people. Faith that God uses broken people like me and you to accomplish his divine purposes. Faith that God can take your small lunch and feed the masses. See, faith is a much deeper motivation than fear because fear only motivates until the danger or threat is gone. And as soon as the danger or threat is gone, there's no motivation. But faith has no limits because it defers to the resources of God. It trusts that God wants to do something through my life. And this is why the early Christians, not the Greeks, refused the practice of infant exposure. In the Roman world, if you didn't want your child, you could take them and leave them on the street or take them to the trash heap and allow them to die. It was a legal practice called infant exposure. And the early Christians were some of the only people who refused ethically from a virtue standpoint, to practice this legal right of the citizens. And not only that, but they would organize themselves into groups. And they would get together at night and they would pray. And they would wander the streets of Rome listening to the cries of children who were dying on the trash heaps. And they would go to the cries of the children in the city and they would pick up these children and they would raise them some of them sick, some of them not the preferred gender of the day, but they would raise them as beloved sons and daughters because they had received that type of love for Christ, that God had loved them that way, and so they were ready to love other people the same way that God had loved them. Do not neglect or forget to show hospitality to strangers. See, this verse is both a warning and an instruction. The instruction is to show hospitality to strangers. The warning is that it is so easy to forget to do. Most of us, myself included, live fast-paced lives. We are busy people, sports, hobbies, work, school, social commitments, and on and on the list goes. These are all wonderful things 
until they distract you from obedience. And the moment that your busy life distracts you from connecting and obeying God, there is a problem. It is so easy to forget that our resources and our gifts and our houses, these are temporary. You cannot take them with you to the next life. Your house, the money in your bank account, the food in your cupboard, that is a gift for your family. Yes, enjoy it, but it is given to you to steward as a kingdom resource so that we would be a blessing to those who are around us. Last year, foster care agencies across the country saw a massive dip in foster parent interest. In fact, 30% of foster family agencies closed last year alone. It's the largest closure on record. And part of this is because our culture is growing so complacent with serving people less and less. And my question is, how will the church of Christ respond to the growing social pressure for us to isolate and build our own kingdoms within our own families? Will we go the way of our neighbors, building higher walls and thicker fences? Or we will, will we follow our Savior's footsteps in opening to strangers with open arms? I love this curious statement at the end of verse 2. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. I remember hearing this verse in high school and thinking like, wow, if I welcome enough people, eventually I'll hit the jackpot (laughs) and one of them will be an angel. (laughs) You're like Zeus stopping in for a hospitality check just to make sure that you have that guest bedroom ready for him. No, I think... For the author of Hebrews, what's in view here is not Greek myths, but Hebrew stories. In particular, he's referencing the story of Abraham almost directly in Genesis 18. In Genesis 18, Abraham's at the the entrance to his tent, and he sees three men walking by in the distance, and he runs to them. He runs to them. He embraces them. He pleads with them to come back to his tent. He honors them as guests. He washes their feet. He prepares a feast for them. And the text says that they would be refreshed. He saw them. He ran to them. He welcomed them. He washed their feet. He prepared a feast for them that they would be refreshed. And it's in that moment where God reveals himself and the angels tell Abraham and his wife that by this time next year, the promised son that you have been waiting for for years and years will arrive in your home. Abraham ran to welcome the weary travelers. And in doing so, he entertained angels without knowing it. Church, we are called, like Abraham, not to passively walk, watch as the stranger walks by, but to run to those in need, to serve them that they would be refreshed just as Christ has refreshed us. And in this process, we may find, as Abraham did, that he received far more from God than he could ever give away. My wife and I have been foster parents for coming up on seven years now, 
And um, we currently have two children that have been with us for about a month, a four-year-old and a five-year-old. And that puts our family total at a two-year-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old, and a six-year-old. And each one of them has a particular need in terms of how we parent and care for them. And I have just been feeling the weight and the complexity of caring for my kids the last month. I have just been so anxious, and it has been so profoundly difficult. And I've just been reminded of the cost of opening up my home to the stranger, disrupting my whole life. But at the same time, there's these just like these little moments where God is breaking in, and I get to be with Christ as I care for these kids. As I dropped my four-year-old foster daughter off at school the other day, she walked into class, and then she paused, and she turned around, and she walked back to me, and she gave me this huge hug, and she just said, I love you, Ryan. (laughs) And then on Friday, we practiced Sabbath, and at night, we go around and say things we're grateful for, and the five-year-old boy, his grateful was, God, thank you for giving me a family. And in the midst of one of the hardest months I've ever had as a parent, practicing hospitality to strangers, I just see Jesus all over the place. And I'm reminded afresh that when you welcome the stranger, you are welcoming Christ. Jesus picks up on the story of Abraham. In Matthew 25, and he says this, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And in the passage, the righteous are confused. Christ, when did we do this? When did we do all these wonderful things to you? And he looks at them and he says, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. This is a powerful and mind-blowing reality, church, that when we serve the poor, we are serving Christ That Jesus has so intertwined his destiny with the poor and vulnerable, those in prison, those who are hungry, those who need family, that when you serve them, you are serving Christ. I can't even explain that theologically. I don't even fully know what that means, but I know from experience that there is a blessedness when we enter the mess of people's lives, when we are willing to serve those who need God's love. He meets us in those spaces. And so today, I want to just ask, who is God calling you to welcome in your home? And are you using your house as a safe haven for those who are suffering? We do not serve in order to get blessed, but so often when we step into the mess of loving people in Jesus' name, we find Christ waiting on the other side. And the last element of how we display our transformed life is by empathizing with those who suffer as if their suffering happened to us. 
Verse 3, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Look on victims of abuse as if what happened to them had happened to you. This is our last invitation from the preacher to express the beauty of our transformed life. And it is to empathize with those who are suffering. And to empathize as if their suffering had happened to us. To put ourselves in their shoes, as the saying goes. This is, to, this is for those who wrestle with addiction, that we wrestle with them. For those who are mistreated, we love them as if what happened to them had happened to us. For victims of abuse, we allow ourselves to feel their pain in our own bodies. And you know this from your own experience. What do you need in your lowest moments? Empathy. (laughs) You need someone to care. You need someone to listen. You need someone to help you hold your pain. And it's connection and love that heals deep wounds. I love this quote from Christian psychiatrist and author Kurt Thompson. He says this, We are all born into the world looking for someone looking for us. We are all born into the world looking for someone looking for us. And we remain in this mode of searching for the rest of of our lives. When no one is looking for us, it is deeply painful. Yet when we look for someone looking at us and we find them, it makes all the difference in the world. I mean, it is remarkable to me that God has put in the DNA of relationships, you have the ability to help people heal from trauma just by showing up. That may be the most powerful weapon of love that you own in your God-given arsenal is empathy. For you to listen, for you to hold, for you to weep, for you to experience the things that your brothers and sisters and those in the community have experienced and suffered through. The ancient novelist and philosopher Lucian of Samatata, who wrote in the first century, said this, and I love this observation, From the earliest dawn, old widows and orphan children might be seen waiting about the prison doors, while the officers of the church, get this, by bribing the jailers, were able to spend the night inside. Elaborate meals were brought in, and the sacred books of theirs were read out loud. Did you catch that? The officers of the early church bribed the jailers not to get the people out of jail, that was a non-starter, but to get themselves in, to sit in prison and to bring elaborate meals and to read scripture aloud to those who were suffering unjustly in prison. They worked their way in so they could empathize and they could love. And while they were in prison, orphans and widows would run to the bars of the prison, even though the officers of the church were incarcerated, because it was their best chance of someone looking at them long enough to care. 
Church, that is phenomenal. That is a life worthy of the gospel. That is what it looks like to display the beauty of a transformed life. And I can relate to the prison imagery, to be honest with you at times. Right now, I feel like being a foster parent is like locking myself up with the inmates in some ways. (laughs) And it truly is tethering your fate and your happiness to that of these beautiful, amazing kids. It's signing up to carry pain and trauma and loss that you did not cause, yet you take responsibility to heal. Now, who does that sound like to you? That sounds like Jesus. And in this church, many families have welcomed children who needed shelter and a place to stay. And I just want to commend you guys for opening up your homes, for practicing the gospel, for letting what God had done inside of you work its way out to children who needed love. It is truly remarkable. As we close, I I remember speaking at a church in Long Beach, and afterwards there was a man who came up to me. He was in his 60s, and he was in tears, and he just leaped into this story. When he was a little boy, him and his family did foster care in L.A. County, and they were placed with another little boy of a similar age. And it was a really difficult placement as this man in his 60s reminisces from his own childhood. And the boy needed to move on, and it kind of broke the family's heart. And they never heard from the boy again until two years ago. Someone reached out who was organizing this once little boy, now man in his 50s funeral because he had passed away. And they somehow got a hold of their information. They invited him to the funeral, and it was at a church, and they showed up. And it turns out this little boy, who was in their home for only a few months, ended up giving his life to the Lord and living a full, beautiful, rich, meaningful life in Christ. And then they transitioned from this amazing service that was all about Jesus, included worship, and they went to the graveside burial, and they couldn't believe it. But while this little boy was in their care, they had managed to teach him this memory verse out of Romans. And this man, with tears in his eyes, says he has memories of this little boy running around the house, singing and reciting this Bible verse. And on this man's epitaph was the Bible verse that the foster family had taught him when they were in their home. It had become his life verse, and it followed him throughout his entire life, grounding him and keeping him connected to God. Church, you do not know what your acts of mercy and compassion are going to do for the eternity and the entire life of the people that you serve. When we open up our lives, when we let the beauty of the gospel that Jesus has implanted work its way out, God shows up and does amazing things. Church, would you stand with me? I wanted to close by kind of addressing three things. The first thing is I would love to see many of you at the interest meeting next Monday night at 6.30. And there's a table in the back. Betsy's going to be back there. You can fill out a next step card. You can RSVP. Let's make it a party, hey? Let's do dinner on us in childcare. We can hang out. 
around Jesus and mission, and it's going to be just a beautiful time for this church, I believe. But secondly, as we close, I just, I wanted for those of you who are ready, you're ready for God to use you, and you don't know what that means, but you're, you're, you're sitting with Hebrews, you're sitting with the text, you're thinking about God, and you're saying, God, I want to be used by you to minister to strangers and sufferers. I want to take a moment, and I want to just ask that we would ask the Spirit to fill us with empathy, that God would fill us with compassion, and he would guide us to the people who need the love of God. And lastly, some of you may be the sufferers that we talked about today. Maybe there's been loss in your family. Maybe you've been wrestling with depression for a long time. Maybe you've felt alone from since as far back as you can remember. And there is mercy for you today that God sees your suffering. And it's not what he had planned for you. And there is a community here and there's a God here who wants to minister to you. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Firstly, that he would fill us with compassion. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Thank, thank you that you welcomed us as strangers into your home. Thank you that we have a family in God. Lord, I confess at times I've let my heart grow hard to suffering and injustice around me. And Lord, would you forgive us for indifference? Would you forgive us for hardening our hearts to the pain of those around us? Maybe because we just couldn't carry it or we were overwhelmed by it. Spirit, I pray that you would fall on us today and you would fill us with empathy and love and compassion for victims of abuse, for those who have been mistreated, for strangers who are in need of family. God, fill us with compassion. And I pray for my brothers and sisters who are the sufferers, whether they've been weighed down by their sorrow, that they've lost hope. Jesus, you are present. You are near to the brokenhearted. Today, Lord, would you fill them? Would you love them? Would you reveal yourself to them? There's going to be a prayer team over here on the side. And if, if you would like to receive prayer to be filled with compassion or because you are suffering and you're willing to ask for help, would you go to the prayer team? Would you go to the leaders in this church who want to pray for you? And for the rest of us, let's just take these things to the Lord and worship as we sing. sacrifice that welcomes us in. Christ, we thank you for the incredible gift of coming, not so 
we could sit on the outside of the gates, but that you could welcome us in. That you don't hold open the door begrudgingly, but you fling it wide open and bring us in. Have a seat at the table. You are mine. We thank you for your body broken that we could become whole. You took on our suffering so we could find healing with the Father. We take this bread in remembrance of you. for the cup that represents a white, a life washed clean, a life transformed. I thank you for the reminder today that we are not just transformed for the sake of ourselves, but for living out the gospel, of telling of the glory of your name, the transformative power of, of your resurrection. God, by your blood we have been cleansed to live out our lives as children of the King. spend the next couple minutes just worshiping together. We still have leaders on the side if you receive prayer. I also just felt a stirring in me as Ryan was preaching. Um, earlier on, he, he spoke about uh, this, this idea of brotherly love and how we so often can take offense rather than offering forgiveness. I just felt that that might be um, yeah, resonating with some people this morning if you are struggling um, with forgiveness, that it is normal um, and it's a hard thing to do, but also that the grace of God empowers you. It's not something that you have to white knuckle and figure out on your own, but that the spirit of God wants to move inside of you. So if that feel, if you like that um, pertains to you, I'd love to pray with you and walk through forgiveness with you. Um, with that, we're just going to worship together. Mercy Commons, it is an absolute delight together with you this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Um, please remember to go see the table outside. Um, if, you, if you just felt stirred this morning, please don't leave without getting prayer. Please join us for donuts. Join us for lunch. Get your kids. It was wonderful to be together. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.